Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Live from the Social Distance Studios, it's Footy Prime the Podcast with Danny Dicchio, Craig Forrest, and James Sharman. Today, we welcome New York Times bestselling author and host of Football with Grant Wall, Grant Wall, and Director of Sales and Marketing from Amsterdam Brewing, Rob Mulvihill. For Dan Wong and myself, Jeff Cole, let's get this party started. Oh, what a relief, fellas. What a relief. We're finally in the same room, albeit uh, one Craig Forrest or Daniel Dicchio length apart, which is more than two meters, I think. It's a long way, but it's nice to see your ugly faces for once. In person, you you've obviously had a tough time through through the pandemic. You both look dreadful. I know I do, but but hey, we're together, and that's all that counts, right? That's all that counts. Yeah, it's it's not like I haven't seen you guys though. It feels like I've seen you a lot because obviously seeing your faces on your yeah. wall, yeah, your ceiling, everywhere. Well, I wasn't laying down like Dickio. Yeah, <laughs> have you still got that picture up of me in your house as well? Great. Yeah, when you used to have hair at QPR. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one. Is that from the 70s? The, it, it does feel, though, doesn't it? A little bit more normal, though. Um, Germany's back, Spain's back, England's back this week, of course. MLS on the horizon. Um, there's even fans back in stadiums in England, in uh, New Zealand, sorry, at the moment as well, which is uh, something we're, we're a number of months away from that, I think, over here, of course. But New Zealand have done an amazing job. That's why they're, uh, they're in that situation. Yeah, absolutely. But today should be a, a great show. Uh, Grant Wall will join us very shortly. Um, and, uh, you know, Grant obviously has been covering the game in North America for, I, I don't want to age Grant, but it's got to be over 20 years now, I think. Uh, we'll, we'll get that exact number. You know what's shortly. great about Grant, too, is not, not only that uh, he covers the men's game and the experiences that he's been and have been at World Cups and doing all of this with Major League Soccer in 23 years writing for Sports Illustrated is the, the coverage that he gives to the women's game yeah, equally and mm-hmm. the knowledge that he has behind that. That is what I see and we'll discuss with them what's going to happen because what is lost is that coverage. I think uh, there's nobody as prominent as him covering the women's game in my belief mm-hmm. uh, at that uh, extensively. So uh, we'll, we'll see what he says about it. We'll also talk beer which is something very close to our hearts, Woo-hoo. absolutely. Uh, our good friends at Amsterdam Brewery, Rob Mavell, will, will join us. Yeah, and even a Sunday, hey? Even on a Sunday? Hmm? Even beer on a Sunday. Especially hey, after, on a after, Sunday. Yeah, to clean up yourself after a Saturday, like, yeah. like our buddy over there. Once, uh, once uh, we get rid of you idiots, I'm going to head home, sit on my deck, and probably drink some uh, of the fine brews from Amsterdam. Maybe more than three. Like we'll you see. did every day during the pandemic. Yeah, pretty much. 
pretty much. Mm. Anyway, listen, um, this weekend Spain returned. Well, last Thursday, actually. Barcelona back in action. It, it was great to see uh, Leo Messi, of course, back in action, scored the gold. But, you know, I've got, I've got a small brain and small things make me laugh, <laughs> right? And I'm looking at the, the attack for Barcelona. You've got Leo Messi, these, these huge names, and Martin Braithwaite, who started up front. Now, I forgot that they signed him, I think it was in February, right at the end of the deadline, right? That's correct. Uh, Dembele was, uh, I believe, injured. He's, he's obviously out injured and uh, re- to replace him. But this is a Danish attacker. Just the name Martin Braithwaite just just seems funny beside the name Leo Messi, you know? He sounds like he should be a, a right back for Stoke. Well, he actually, he actually played at Middlesbrough as well. Did he really? Yeah. Well, that's, well, that's, where he, that's, uh, that's where he should be. That's where he should be. But he Not struggled at, at Middlesbrough. And now he's playing in La Liga. Obviously, got his move to uh, Barcelona, where he's playing with the likes of Messi and, and Suarez. And I think he wakes up every morning and really can't believe it as well. But fair play to him. He managed to, to get a clause in his contract, which if a club would offer a certain amount, I think Barcelona or the club that he left, uh, I can't remember which club he was at, um, it was some kind of ban or embargo set out. I think it was in Barcelona, but they had so many injuries that they could buy a striker from this lowly team in La Liga who was struggling, who are still struggling, to lose their top scoring striker to a team like Barcelona. So that's how the move kind of progressed. And now, as you said, Martin Braithwaite is playing for Barcelona. <laughs> Martin Braithwaite. Messi didn't look as though he missed... Uh, no, no, he was looking a bit rusty, wasn't he, Messi? Was it, I think it was 90-something days since we seen him. 96 days since was that what he last yeah, played. I guess so. Or something like yeah. that. Wonderful to see him back oh, on the field. Man. Yeah, what a, yeah, just what a floating around the field. And just good to, good to see Spanish football back. I mean, Germany's been fantastic, of course. Now Spain's back. And then uh, the, the Prem later this week, which will hopefully be a distraction from the, the other nonsense happening around the world right now, which is obviously far greater, far bigger. But we're here to talk sports. Um, let's bring on our first guest, shall we? Um, listen, this is a, a, a guy that... Uh, host a brand new f- podcast, Football with Grant Wall. Um, he is probably the most well-known football journalist in North America, one of the most respected for sure, um, and also finds himself, much like the three of us, uh, in limbo, uh, in between gigs at the moment, uh, a victim of the machine that is North American soccer media, mainstream media. Grant Wall joins us. Grant, welcome to Footy Prime. Hey guys, how are you? We're doing all right, all things considered, Grant. Um, podcasts, mate. Football, F-U-T-B-O-L, with Grant Wall. They're great therapy, aren't they? If nothing else right now. Just being unshackled from the corporate beast for a while is, is a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, it is. I hope it doesn't last permanently, and I, and I don't think it will. But um, I've had a lot of fun just getting back to doing what I love which is interviewing interesting, prominent soccer people. Um, and that's in North America, men's and women's, that's in Europe. Um, and, you know, like starting your own independent podcast, uh, coming into it, I've covered this sport for 23 years, I've built a lot of relationships, and I thought I would be able to get good guests. And, but you're still never sure until it actually happens. And so it's been really gratifying to to get people on who I think make for, for an interesting podcast. And um, so already in just doing this for three weeks, two episodes a week, sometimes three, uh, Jurgen Klopp comes on for Monday's episode. 
Lothar Mateus is going to be on for Thursday. Uh, we've had Landon Donovan, Roberto Martinez, Henrik Mikatarian. It's a real cross-section of, of interesting soccer people, and it's just a blast to do again. Well, it's great to see you, you know, back and, you know, doing something media-wise, uh, Grant. Uh, and like I was saying to these guys, and just as in the opening, that, you know, a prominent writer like you that it, uh, respect and, uh, and is respected in the soccer community in North America, around the world, and in Europe as well. So it's, uh, it's, it's what is going to happen, um, long term when I, when you see that, you know, the coverage that you gave to the women's program and the exposure, are you going to be able to continue to do that at the same level, or are there other prominent people out there that I'm not aware of covering it at the same level? Well, it's it depends on the time and like I, there are some people I think doing a good job of coverage in the soccer media uh, for the women's game right now here in the U.S. and in North America. I would say Meg Linehan from the Athletic is doing a tremendous job covering the women's game uh, and the athletic is doing a, a really good job in general covering soccer, whether it's North America, they have a big group over in England. Uh, I want to work for places that are investing in covering the sport. And, you know, I'm optimistic that once we fully get going again here, that sometime in the next two to three months, I'm going to end up with a national gig covering soccer for, for somebody and, and, and be able to do more or less what I've always done, which is to cover the men's game, the women's game domestically, internationally, and just tell good stories and, and write good stuff. You know, like I think there's going to be a demand there because there are still media outlets that want good soccer coverage, especially with the world cup coming to North America in 2026. Grant, I'm just going to kind of lead on to that, that that last sentence you just said there. Where do you think media is, is possibly going to go with the game within North America as well? Because we've obviously moved away from a lot of the games being on mainstream cable channels now and a lot of uh, independent channels are buying games, especially in Europe as well. Do you think it's going to be the same for journalists as well, kind of popping up, uh, making their own online magazines and podcasts like you're doing now? Is this a new way for the younger generation or for the millennial millennials that we're seeing? This is what they want? I think that what we're going to see even more so, and we're starting to see it now, is subscription pay websites, television, for people who want to see the game and want to consume the best coverage. Um, I hope it doesn't become so expensive that it prices out potential new fans. But, you know, in my situation at Sports Illustrated, they got a new owner and operator last year who has completely changed how they are running Sports Illustrated, and it's much less about quality now than it is about quantity because their whole strategy is, for digitally at least, about clicks, and it's advertising-based, and it's all about volume. And that's not really what I do. I, I certainly can produce some volume, but I still want to have quality. And so I think... Uh, for me, and I should have probably realized this sooner with the once the new operators came into Sports Illustrated, I need to be working with in a, a company that has a strategy of subscriptions because 
or at least a place that wants to wants to do quality stuff uh, and is willing to to have an ad model based on that. Because if we're being honest right now, even though the sport of soccer is growing in North America, it's not the NFL, it's not the NBA. And you only really get a ton of clicks during big summer tournaments like the World Cup or the Euro. Year round, we're still slowly building, but it's the kind of thing that I don't know if soccer is still a click-friendly sport in the media here. And so I want to be tied to quality, and that's probably going to mean subscriptions. It's so frustrating to me that you see the SIs of the world, and there's, there's many other companies out there that are doing the same thing, going for clicks. And then you see, as you mentioned there, The Athletic, who are going the complete opposite. They want in-depth sports coverage. And for me as a sports consumer, that's my go-to now, The Athletic is. Before most other um, companies out there, I go to The Athletic to get some intelligent writing, podcasts, videos, whatever it's going to be. It seems that mainstream media still doesn't quite get it and doesn't quite get soccer. Is that a frustration for you? You know, it's interesting because I've been doing this since 1996. And so in that span of time, I do look at gains have been made. I remember when I started at Sports Illustrated, it was almost impossible to get the sport of soccer into the print magazine. And it was very frustrating. We, we barely had a website. And over the years, that certainly did change. Um, and... Soccer is more, in my opinion, media-wise, a digital sport these days, at least in, in our country, than a print magazine sport. And so even though I was at Sports Illustrated for 23 years, by the, the last five years or so, probably 80 to 90% of my work was for digital, whether it was writing, podcasts, video. And the only time I really did much for the print magazine was around World Cups, previews, um, things like that. And so, I, I, you know, the soccer fan base is generally pretty young, uh, and that's a digital-consuming community more than it is a traditional print consumer group. Well, moving on, uh, Grant, uh, talking about uh, Major League Soccer, uh, where it's at, um, what they're going to do moving forward. Uh, are the players happy about what's the arrangements or the potential arrangement for a tournament? Uh, what are you hearing on the ground from the, the players and, and Major League Soccer itself about the plans moving forward? Well, I can tell you that from talking to players, there's a, a, a real animosity from the players, especially those who are union heads, toward the threat from Don Garber, the commissioner, to lock out the players if they didn't agree to this deal, which included a new CBA, but also agreeing to go to this tournament in Florida. And I had players tell me that they think the relationship between the players and owners has been set back years by that threat of a lockout during a pandemic to stop paying your players and providing health care for their families. And, you know, did MLS have the leverage to do that? I guess. But that didn't mean they had to do it to make that threat. And they did. It's not like the players were threatening to strike. So this is going to be a long-term situation in the years to come where there was actually a, a mutually beneficial feeling of goodwill in January, February, when they got the CBA done and that's gone now. So that's something to think about, especially because this force majeure 
clause of the new CBA, which is could very well kick in, could cause them to have to negotiate another CBA in January next year. Uh, I think the players are going to remember what happened here. Now, as far as the tournament itself in Florida, uh, there is concern from the players. I spoke to one about a week ago, and that was even before the tests, the positive tests of COVID started increasing pretty significantly in Florida. And there were concerns at the time a week ago from the players that the league hadn't really spelled out the protocols yet about how they were going to run things down in Florida. And so the players were like, well, Disney World is opening up down there and they're going to be bringing in people from all over the place. And are we going to be safe? So I know they're going to be in a bubble, but for the same reason that the NBA players are starting to ask, do we really want to do this NBA tournament down in Orlando? I think there's clearly some in MLS that are wondering as well. I tell you what, um, when we're on our various platforms in, in a few months from now and we're talking about labor unrest in Major League Soccer, it'd be with great relief because it means that we're back to normal. <sighs> <laughs> to hell with everything else that's going on, labor unrest in whatever league it's going to be. What I, would, what I would say, Sham, is that uh, the players that I've spoke to are very excited about getting back to playing. But that doesn't mean that they're not apprehensive about their welfare and their family's welfare as well. And, and that's an important part we're missing here. And I think that's what they were kind of butting heads with the MLS and, and the authorities there. And, and you have to remember there's a lot of underlying conditions that families and children uh, from, these fa- from these players have that we don't really know about and I, th- I feel as as Grant just said there they, f- they felt that they were pushed into a situation because we all want football back we all want it back as soon as possible and I think MLS are pushing really hard to get it back during this month because they know they're going to be the first sport back on TV mainstream TV as well Craig yeah Grant what what are your thoughts on you've got a league here Major League Soccer that's not the NBA like you said not uh, the NFL they rely on gates and tickets being sold at the box office. If this pandemic continues on and there's no crowds for another year, year and a half, what can MLS do and can they survive it? I think they can survive it because they have billionaire owners. Um, And that's always been something that has kept MLS afloat even when it was actually close to folding as a league in the early 2000s. They're in a much better position now in terms of the wealth of their owners. There's a lot more of them. They can absorb a lot of these hits. Um, certainly, you know, and my wife's an infectious disease expert. She thinks a vaccine is possible, as Dr. Anthony Fauci says, uh, toward the start of 2021. Uh, you know, you hope that is the case because that would certainly help with a lot of things around the world that have nothing to do with sports. But in terms of the sports world, uh, that would be key. MLS obviously relies more on gates than it does on television. So it's different from leagues around the world. And um, I think it's going to be important for the league to figure out how it wants to approach this. My guess is we're looking at post-tournament in Florida – empty stadium games in MLS probably for the rest of this calendar year. Uh, and 
I think they think they can absorb that and be okay. And then very much hope that when 2021 starts, uh, there will be a vaccine. There will be the ability to play in front of fans because, uh, because MLS needs that, you know, uh, and we'll see if they can do it. I still, I still feel there'll be fans towards the end of the season in certain states. Well, if, if New Zealand's doing it right now, and obviously we're far behind New Zealand, um, you know, in a few months, quite possibly, let's hope so, in, in some regard. Yeah. I, I spoke to uh, a guy uh, who, who's quite hype at Live Nation recently, and he was saying that he doesn't foresee crowds above 15,000 until uh, next summer. Yeah. Next summer for concerts. I can believe that as well, Which, yeah. Uh, yeah. But also the league are trying to generate revenue. I think it's been announced this week, Grant, you might be able to correct me on this, where there can be multiple sponsors on, on the uniforms now. So there's sleeve sponsors, yeah. shirt sponsors, short sponsors. So they're trying to generate money somehow for these clubs. Because you think about it, teams like Houston, Dallas, they don't get big, big gates anyway. Um, even New England, teams like them. So they're trying to help out teams. They're trying to get them sponsorships in different ways, whether it's for the purpose of just this tournament or for the season as well. So I don't know. There's there's a lot of thinking going into this. There's a lot of heads clashing. But um, I, I do feel that we'll see fans in some stadiums towards the end of the season. But... Are the other teams then going to say, well, this is unfair because we're sanctioned to not have fans in our stadium? There's even teams still that can't travel out of their state or their province, mm-hmm. even here in Ontario. Yeah. We can travel out, but we'd have to quarantine for 14 days on our return. So something has to change. That's not just for soccer, but that's for uh, NBA as well. Well, yeah, they, I know the NBA and the, the Toronto Raptors, uh, Grant, are, they're getting together, I believe. Uh, this early this week and then traveling to Florida uh, next Monday because the players can't come back here all joined together without doing two weeks. So they're going to meet up there even earlier and then move wow. over to Orlando for the tournament if that actually ends up happening. So it's going to be a war of attrition for these guys. You know, when you're looking at, if you're actually looking at from a sporting standpoint and winning these tournaments, whether you're the NBA or Major League Soccer, if you're going to be isolated for up to three, four months, you know, that's a really difficult situation for anybody to be in from a mental standpoint. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that the MLS players fought because the original proposal from the league was for a much longer tournament in Florida. And the players got that negotiated down to a shorter tournament where some teams are only going to play those three group stage games and go home. But you're still not going to have, even if, for the teams that go to the final, you're not going to be there, I don't think, for much longer than four or five weeks. Um, so, you know, when you put it in those terms, that's the length of a World Cup. And, you know, these guys down in Florida are going to be very, very isolated. They're going to be in a bubble. They're not going to be able to do some things that you typically take for granted. And so I do think it's going to be a mental challenge as much as uh, any sort of physical challenge. Yeah, you make a really good point. Some of the players that have played internationally at World Cups will understand, or a tournament like the Gold Cup, you're you're with your teammates, you're right, you are isolated to a certain degree, um, and it's different. Uh, coaching a tournament is different than coaching week in, week out a league base. So it's going to be very interesting to see how coaches manage it, how they deal with it, how their physicians and their, their physiotherapists deal with the loads on these players. It's uh, it's something completely 
out of the normal. But, but going back to the players as well, and this is key for me because even playing in MLS, it was difficult for me as a European player to adjust with not eating as a team and you being given per diem to go out and see the city that you were playing in. But I actually really kind of come around to really enjoying it and seeing different parts, just having that off time, off of the pitch, off of the field, to go and experience the city, whether it be Columbus, whether it be San Jose, for a couple of days, just to see that community. And I feel that's where players are going to come a little bit unstuck with the isolation of training or playing, eating in the room by themselves in isolation and being kind of locked in that cell which they're calling it, it's, it's going <laughs> to, I don't know like mentally how the players are going to react to it, but I would find it very difficult myself to be A, away from my family for that long, but also to kind of be locked up away from your teammates. I don't know though, after three months being stuck with your family, some of these players might be uh, looking forward to a bit of a, ah, oh, sorry, got to go back to work. Well, there is that side. That's <laughs> uh, a bit unfair, perhaps. Um, um, Grant, so obviously COVID's uh, been the dominating news uh, story for a long time, but overshadowing it in recent days and weeks, of course, has been the, the civil unrest, um, Black Lives Matter in particular. I mean, we're watching it from a distance to a certain point up here. We're seeing it more and more here now as well. But is there a word that kind of describes your mood right now, seeing what's happening to your country? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, this is stuff that I think we're going to look back on this stretch as a pivotal moment in our lifetimes. Um, you know, not just for the virus, but for uh, the protest against police brutality uh, toward black Americans which uh, I am obviously so angry as, a, as an American citizen to see what happened to George Floyd, to see what happened this week with uh, a black man being killed by police in Atlanta uh, in, in a way that was horrible. Um, and so many names that we've come to, to know over the years, and this problem never has seemed to get better. And... Finally, it seems like there's at least a possibility for real change uh, that people, whether it's protests in cities around North America, Europe, elsewhere, this is a global thing. And uh, and so I hope we end up seeing real change as a result. I hope that the police departments uh, really take a, a, a strong look at changing fundamentally how they do their work or the people that oversee police departments force that. Um, but I'm optimistic uh, that that change can happen. I'm optimistic seeing how many protesters were out there. I'm optimistic seeing how much the white community, which is the, the community that needs to change and have uncomfortable conversations about this topic, seems to be willing to do that. Um, so we'll see where it goes from here, but it's it's something that um, is a conversation that needed to happen a long time ago. We're having it now, and it's interesting that the sports world has talked about it. I mean, in this interview I have with Jurgen Klopp on my podcast Monday, that's one of the things we talk about from the top is how he's seen this around the world, and he said his son was protesting in Berlin. Uh, so 
I, I think there's a recognition in the sports community, and we've seen a lot of prominent athletes and coaches speak out. And I think the sports community can have a, a big influence here. Yeah, the term is what let it be uh, a movement, not a moment, and we've seen it. It, it seems we we're on this exact same platform, fellas, a few months ago, England, Bulgaria, you know, the racist abuse towards English black players. And what would happen? Well, what happened was a two-match stadium ban and 75,000 euro fine, right? Absolute joke, and we complained because it's disgusting. And then we moved on and discussed other issues. That, that can't continue. We're seeing a lot of young American footballers, soccer players as well, Grant, standing up and having a say and using their platform. In the past, they may have been criticized for that. Um, but it does seem that the, the message of getting across in the world of sports to these athletes to, to use their platforms and to get that conversation going. I think on the men's side for the U.S., the, the leaders are all much younger than on the women's side. So guys like Weston McKinney, Christian Pulisic, Tyler Adams is such an impressive player and figure. Uh, they really have found their voice. Zach Steffen's another one. Um, and and then we see older players, retired players like Aguchi Yanyewu and Demarcus Beasley starting their own podcast and, and talking about these topics. And then they... I'm told, actually spoke to the U.S. Soccer Athlete Council last week and really pushed, along with Megan Rapinoe, who's done amazing work, uh, to they pushed the Athlete Council to come out publicly and say, we've got to repeal this rule that forbids kneeling during the anthem. And with Cindy Parlo-Cone, the U.S. Soccer president, and I think it's important to know these are former athletes, all of them, and, and they realize the power that they can have and that other parts of the U.S. Soccer Federation leadership and membership are older and more conservative. It's up to the athletes part to push this stuff through and they succeeded. And so you had Cindy Parlo Cone coming out and apologizing to the black athletes, all athletes, specifically to Megan Rapino, who was essentially blackballed by U.S. soccer for about six months when she was supporting Colin Kaepernick's kneeling protest. And I look at what Rapino has done and said, and she's basically said all along, we need as the white community to get into uncomfortable places and uncomfortable discussions for real change to take place. Because basically, I mean, it's nice to see Jaden Sancho showing a, a t-shirt, you know, a shirt saying supporting George Floyd. That's great. But really that's not uncomfortable for anybody. Like it helps, but we in the white community need to take this farther into the discussions that like that need to be had. And I, and I think people like Rapino, Tyler Adams, they, they've helped push it there. I think you're right. And, and, uh, uh, me and Danny have been involved with an initiative here to, to help with uh, the Conquer COVID uh, uh, initiative uh, to help there with hospitals short of PPE. Uh, most of them are actually, I would say, Muslim. Um, I didn't really know that going in, but Ramadan was at the time, so I saw many of them that were up, um, celebrating and, and going through that. Um, and they talked to me about that, and I was wasn't sure what to say, what to do, how what kind of statement to put out. But they thought it was important that we do, and as a white guy, an athlete, former athlete, um, to to put out a statement in support. And I think that we're seeing that from prominent people. Um, we're seeing it from prominent leagues. I saw what I was really proud of with the the Premier League are going to for the first twelve games of next season have 
Black Lives Matter on the back of their jerseys. That's an incredibly massive and powerful statement that goes out to 212 different territories, as the, the Premier League does. And to have a league go that far, and with the brands like Manchester United, Liverpool... Arsenal, Chelsea, wearing that on the back of their jersey is incredibly powerful, and I'm I'm proud that that league has actually that done that. Yeah, I am too. Um, and I wasn't sure at the start of the protests how global this would go, right? But then you started to see major protests in Berlin, in London, in Paris, and then you saw at the start black athletes, soccer players do public displays. And then you saw, which I thought was even more important, white players like Joshua Kimmich at Bayern Munich support his black teammates and and say publicly, white people need to be doing this. It it can't just be black black players. And that is a recognition uh, of what really needs to be happening. And so um, I think that's cool. I, I, I really, I think Germany has been very gratifying to me in a number of ways during this whole stretch. I mean, their country did a great job on the virus. Uh, They were the first major league to come back. They've not had a single positive test that I know of since they've, they've come back and they've, they've been the blueprint for how to do this right. And then on the side, you've got, well, on the side, just as prominently, you've got uh, the protests that we've seen through the players and the support they've gotten and and what's happening over there. It's just, um, I think it's pretty cool. You know, we're seeing the domestic leagues making these statements, and it's great, group movement, but maybe I'm missing it. You know, maybe I've been too busy with other stuff, but are UEFA and FIFA conspicuous in their, in their silence right now, or what they plan to be doing to make a difference? Because let's be honest here, UEFA in particular have been an absolute disgrace to themselves forever over this exact issue. So the only statement, I, you know, Johnny Infantino at FIFA came out and said that he did not think the players in the Bundesliga should be punished for having statements on their shirts that they show when they scored. Uh, so that's kind of minimal, but he at least did that. They can do so much more because FIFA, one of the first things under Infantino, they disbanded their anti-racism task force, basically saying, in effect, racism is solved, but obviously it wasn't. And... And then, and then UEFA, and and then UEFA, as you point out, has been shamefully lenient in uh, in taking any leadership on on punishing racism in, in stadiums, as have league leaders in you know, the authorities in Italy, obviously, but other other European countries too. You know, in this season, we've seen some really horrible instances. Uh, you know, Cagliari's had so many examples now in Italy of, of racist fans and they don't, they, they need to go scorched earth on these teams. They need to take away points in the standings. They need to do things that truly hurt th- these teams. Otherwise it'll, it'll continue to happen. You know, like it, it is literally a, an epidemic over there. And I, and sometimes Grant, when we're, you know, we're doing European leagues and, and, uh, the UEFA, uh, Europa League in particular, you get these smaller clubs in the backwoods of different countries. And on a weekly basis, you see something racist and you almost feel that UEFA is in a position where they're like, if they come down hard on somebody, they're going to have to come down hard on all these other teams. And it's, it's going to become really difficult because quite honestly, 
they'll all be playing in front of closed stadiums. It's just absolutely disgraceful. And I don't know if that's part of it, but and if they do, if they really do come hard on the teams, will that make it better? Will that will that solve the problem? And uh, can they get away with that? You know, I, I think sometimes UEFA like wants to let national federations take care of things, and somebody needs to show some leadership. And I am all for scorched earth. I am. I mean, like, and I hope that. I hope that we move toward that in part as a result of what's what we're seeing happening right now, because just as we all need to get into some uncomfortable situations in recognizing racism, I think UEFA needs to be in an uncomfortable situation where it's like, wow, should be, oh, this seems drastic, but that would be the thing to do because it hasn't helped what they've done so far. Grant, so many important issues on, on today's podcast so far, which need to be discussed. Uh, we want to get you back on at some point and talk some, some, you know, football on the field, but we have to get to the, the, these topics, of course. Um, before we, we let you go, though, I do want to just quickly go back to um, when you left SI, because so many people, when they get, you know, let go by a big corporation, are silenced or intimidated. You went the opposite way. You didn't take their shit. Bottom line, it seemed, uh, through your, your, your Twitter feed in particular. Um, I'm sure there's no regrets, but I, I had a lot of respect for the way you handled it. Thank you. Um, you know, there's only so much I can say publicly because my lawyer's like, uh, be careful here. But like, what I, can, what I can say is, at least about my departure, is sort of what I've already put out on my Twitter uh, over time, which is um, they wanted us... Like basically, the people who, who operate Sports Illustrated now, this group called Maven, were trying to use the pandemic to force pay cuts, not just during the pandemic, which all of us were fine with, including me, but they wanted us to sign long-term contracts that would lock in those pay cuts. So basically, they were trying to use a pandemic to force through permanent pay cuts that would last for years and years. And, and I had an issue with that and said so publicly. Um, and I got fired uh, by the people who run Maven uh, without severance, without health care. Um, and not only that, but they put out a statement, uh, the people who run Maven, uh, not saying, you know, thank you for 23 years of, of great service, which I'm really proud of. But instead, the statement said false stuff. And I've said this before on my Twitter. They said that I wrote infrequently, which I was the biggest quantity producer on the national staff. I was on pace to write 168 stories in 2020 and they had agreed upon with me 100 at the beginning of the year. So to say that I wrote infrequently that I didn't work very hard is, is flat out false. Um, they said I was the only uh, staffer at Sports Illustrated who was having issues with uh, their permanent pay cut attempts and that's not factual. There were plenty, there still are, who had issues. Um, and uh, and they said that what I did was not meaningful, which anyone who's followed my work for 23 years, I think would say that that is not factual either. So, you know, it's that's, that's what happened. Uh, and the owners of Sports Illustrated, Authentic Brands Group, have not set the record straight publicly since then. They know what the facts are. They know that that statement was wrong. And and it's it's terribly unfortunate. But at the same time, I'm excited to, to work 
somewhere else soon full time that that respects what I do, respects soccer, because this was also a statement. If you say that my coverage is not meaningful, you're saying soccer is not meaningful to you, Sports Illustrated Maven. Um, you know, like go to a place where you can be valued. And, and I'm excited about doing that. And uh, I think that'll happen sooner rather than later. Well, Grant, thanks a lot for coming on. We really do appreciate it. All the best with your podcast and moving forward. We know we're going to see a lot of you moving forward. And uh, uh, all the best, and all the best to your wife, Celine, too. She's doing some amazing work uh, in the medical side of things. We see her regularly on CNN. Absolutely wonderful couple you guys are. So keep up with the good work. Thanks so much, guys. Take care. Thanks, Grant. Thanks, Grant. That's Grant. Really interesting. And I, uh, I suspect, fellas, we'll be seeing him pretty soon. That's <laughs> cute to yeah. Craig. Let's be honest here. Um, you know, we, we talk about the, the media in this country, and we have our opinions on, on you know, those, on this continent, we have our opinions. We're very fortunate also to have some really talented people covering the game. And Grant's a prime example. I think 26 years, I, I did the math, 26 years he's been covering the game, I believe, in, in this country, or close enough anyway, at a very high level, um, from covering Beckham. He wrote the book, of course, on Beckham's arrival here. Uh, every World Cup, it's you know you follow the states, you follow Grand Wall. Simple as that. So we are fortunate. There is some talent in this country. Uh, too much of it has been laid bare by the uh, the machine, as I mentioned before. I've got to be careful what I say. I've got to be so careful what I say, right? There's so much you want to say, but you Why, can't. you're not in an illegal battle, are you? No, <laughs> no, I'm not. In, no, I'm not anymore. Um, anyway. <laughs> You're just wondering, eh? Yeah, exactly. I actually tweeted something out from a corporate standpoint about you know, like you know, the dodging of taxes, billions of dollars a year, and it's it's uh, interesting how my even people that I know that work for corporations, yep, didn't touch it. Of course not. Didn't touch it. Of course not. Got to watch your back, right? Yeah. What happens when we're all working for corporations and nobody wants to upset anybody? Because there's a lot of fear if you work for a corporation. Like, I know a lot Obviously. of people, and I'm not talking about the obvious here. I know other people in other companies in the media, and they are terrified of, of saying anything mm-hmm. via text, even mm-hmm. because they think that could be get back to. Uh, to my, be my fair, bosses. we were in that same position, weren't we? I mean, really, when you're working for, yeah, yeah, and you've got Roger you know, Sportsnet on your even your Twitter handle, putting out honest statements personal statements even though they're coming from yourself yeah, it can be risky yep yep absolutely and there's certain things you can get in trouble for saying because it doesn't follow the the corporate mantra right and you're you're, you're censored censored because of that mm-hmm. also a lot of companies and organizations will look through your history oh, on yeah. social media as you're approaching a job opportunity or why wouldn't you a job interview why wouldn't you if you're hiring somebody you're going to get a lot of information yeah. by their social media you're going to for sure you know if they're if they're londoners trying to yesterday support and protect the churchill statue doing the nazi salutes there's Jesus. a lot of people losing their job over that this weekend let me yeah. tell you know they should absolutely so they should be like disgrace absolutely. what's wrong with people dan People are radius in most cases. I think Danny Dicchio should lose his job on this podcast for that beard. I see some gray. This is if we're it's, talking about. It's salt and pepper. You're just jealous, Dan. You're, salt, you're jealous. Pepper. Salt, salt and pepper. Salt and pepper. I, I had to say though that Grant Wall, when he went, like he talked about scor- scorched earth, he went the exact. I when I quit Sportsnet, I resigned from Sportsnet. I had I never resigned from anywhere in my life. And I looked up how to resign on Google. 
and all of it all came say the right things. You and I were, Craig and I were talking about it. Was that Google powered by Rogers at the time? Yeah, powered by Rogers. Yeah, yeah. No, it was at my own house, so I, I was lucky <laughs> enough. I didn't do it at work. <laughs> How to quit? How to quit? Hey, Not the boss, smartest thing check this out. Um, so. He went the exact opposite, le- like 180. He did everything you're not supposed to do. And <laughs> I have to, to tell Google. you, according to Google, but according to HR. And it's so funny because I was telling Craig, I did an exit interview. So the 30 minutes to an hour of an exit interview, and all of a sudden, the HR woman said to me, can you please, it sounds all very fine, Is there anything you want to leave me with? It sounds like you're holding back. I went, you're absolutely right. And then I went scorched earth. I haven't worked in sports since. Are you blackballed? I'm not blackballed. I'm just, hey, we're starting our own thing, fellas. Yep. Podcast network, sports podcast network across the board. And we're getting paid in beer. That's right. Which I'm quite okay with. We're we're waiting for your resignation from this podcast then. (laughs) You're holding something back. I was. Actually. Is that what they ask? I wouldn't even think they would ask that. Oh, yeah. They'd be just happy to get your ass out of there as quick as possible. Best. uh, They they leave you. They send out the email. Uh, Dan Wong is no longer with this company. Uh, Future endeavors. Best of the future endeavors, right? Oh, the old future endeavors. Hey, we, we didn't we, even we, get that. We didn't get that, no. I didn't get nothing. In fact, remember, you remember it was, you it was six there. weeks later, I bumped into Kiprios, and he's like, oh, how's the soccer going? I'm like, well. <laughs> Isn't that like Jerry, where Jerry worked for 60 years at Sportsnet, and he got we went through his mill, and he got that nice letter? That's right. He was the only guy ever to retire. <laughs> Nobody retires. Hey, Jerry Dobson. Fired. Jerry, good friend of ours, timed it beautifully. Yeah, beautifully. He's sort of writing on the wall, yeah. Jerry. Oh, he's let it all go to his hairs, and now he's, he's just dropped he's, to die. Yeah, he's just a smoking Green weed beard. and listening to the dead, isn't he? That's what he's smoking doing weed in Palm Springs. Every, yeah. yeah, for six months, and then smoking weed for <laughs> six months. <of> beer. <laughs> <laughs> we we know. We, I said it before. I keep thinking we should get Jerry on the show. He'd love to come on. I'm sure and just uh, talk about. His 120 years in the business. <laughs> He's my hero. Yeah, right. Jerry's my hero. Yeah, he is absolutely the best. All right, listen, let's get into our second two guests in one show. How lucky are we, eh? Um, this is a, a gentleman who's, again, very close to our hearts because he represents uh, beer. And we like beer. In fact, there's lots of beer here. In fact, we are drinking beer. Yes, please, Jeff. Can you crack? I've got my hands full. Can you crack one for me? Uh, the three speed from Amsterdam. Crispy, lovely. By the way, I tried the Space Invader. You recommended the Space Invader to me, right? Yeah. The uh, the IPA. Oh, it's the perfect summer beer. It's juicy. It is. It is juicy. Yeah. yeah. Not for it's, if it's considered please. a sour per se, but it tastes like a sour, and I love sours. And uh, yeah, my my raging head this morning was courtesy the Space Invader. Mm. One second here. Let's introduce our guest. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> You're right there, Shops. I'm going to be all right. <laughs> Director of Sales of Amsterdam Brewery is, is Rob Mulverhill. Rob, welcome to Ferdy Prime. Um, I know you're a big Arsenal fan, and we're going to get to the Gunners shortly. But first of all, how has beer sales been through through COVID? Uh, beer sales have been very good. You know, it's funny. In our business, uh, when times are good, people drink beer. When times are bad, people drink more beer. So we've had, uh, you know, 
with the restaurant business being closed, it's not been that great, but uh, home consumption has certainly gone up. What is the, um, you know, the staffing like and where your offices are and how, how are you guys managing through that, uh, trying to make all this beer? Because obviously the volumes are going to be at, at a certain level that maybe you didn't even expect. Uh, yeah, I mean, the first thing we mandated was, you know, a safety protocol, obviously, to make sure everyone's safe. How are we going to run the business with uh, the people that are there? What are our needs? So there were some layoffs and redundancies, but um, we did pretty well overall. Um, and then, yeah, we started to see a spike in, in packaging. So what happens is our, our draft business goes away and we have to turn the canning line on a little more. We need more cans. We need more people to pack things out. So it was a bit of a challenge at the beginning. Um, you know, people were worried to come back to work. We weren't for- forcing anybody. And, uh, it's sort of, you know, we set up the safety protocols, social distancing. Everyone's got their own station, lots of sanitization going on. And, um, and then we had to bring in some staff, you know, everyone had a bit of an alternate role with home delivery. So we brought some sales reps in who are delivering beer. I was brought in to run, you know, I, I run the sales routing now for home delivery. Um, you know, so everyone had to sort of chip in, do things a little bit differently, but, uh, it's worked out overall fairly well. Now we know that you can catch coronavirus from drinking Corona beer. Um, <laughs> is, is, is that, is that the case with Amsterdam? <laughs> You don't catch I cannot verify that, that in any way. Um, I'm drinking my own little cerveza here. So uh, we've got a summer bureau called Fria Cerveza. Um, not saying it's an alternate. <laughs> Rob, Rob, just quickly. So two questions. Um, why are you an Arsenal fan, first of all? I got a soft spot for Arsenal. My family used to work for Arsenal, so I watched them a lot as a kid. So Right on. Great question. Um, I'll tell you how it came about. Back in 1991, I traveled to London with my then-girlfriend, now-wife, and we went to her uncle's house in Enfield. We walked mm-hmm. into the house, and it was filled with cannons. There was cannons everywhere. There was pennants. There was banners. There was these colored jerseys that I had never seen before in my life. And I said, what is this stuff? And he goes, well, this is Arsenal. And uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, kind of my first sort of taste of soccer. Uh, was with him, you know, as a passionate fan. Um, and it wasn't probably until about 10 years later where he showed up at my house in Toronto. I was living in uh, Lid Lidley, and he's got this Arsenal hat on that said, you know, um, champions, whatever it was, they won. They just won the the, the three uh, Euro. They won the uh, FA Cup, and they won their own Trouble, yeah. uh, league. So they were the, uh, what was it called again? Where they were the Invincibles. the Invincibles, and I said, "Well, that's pretty cool." And so they they came, became my team, and I like you know the way they played. Um, that evolved into my love of the Dutch soccer. So I, a lot of Dutch players through came through Arsenal, and I like watching uh, the Dutch team. So um, and I just enjoy the game in general. So I you know I, I hung my hat with Arsenal, and uh, but I do love watching all football. Cool. Se- second question now: If you were to describe Arsenal's season in one word. Tumultuous. <laughs> mm, can you spell that? <laughs> That's more syllables. That's more syllables in one word than we generally get through in an entire show. Can you actually <laughs> pronounce that, Danny? No chance I could pronounce that. You know, you know what? Tumultuous. Ninety-one. That's a George Gray mirror, right? And, and ninety-one yes. was when they were known as Arsenal One. Yeah, I was watching them a lot. Arsenal One. 
Liverpool nil, Arsenal one, Man yeah. U nil, Arsenal one. That's all it was. It was it was a different style of football to Arsene Wenger. Certainly, were you a supporter of Arsene stepping aside finally? And, and uh, you know, uh, yeah, I do agree. I, I I am. I mean, I love the, you know what he's done for that club. He's a brilliant brilliant manager. But I think the game has changed a little bit, and it was it was his time. But I think he'll come back in some capacity. You know, uh, as you know, players start to come back. Players are now managing the team. I think he'll have a bit of more influence, but he needs a little bit of time away. It used to be uh, that you'd often see frequently, you know, beer sponsors emblazoned across football shirts. You know, Holston was was what, what essentially Spurs, Spurs was yeah. known for, right? Holston, yeah. Liverpool. I know recent years, Coors at Chelsea. Yeah, that's right, Coors. Yeah, when Guin- there was a Coors. Yeah, Guinness was Coors, right? QPR. Yeah. When I was Guinness growing QPR. Up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, nowadays, nowadays it's Le far Bats. cooler things like, you know, um, hedge funds and stuff, you know, and, and banks, which is really boring, and the old betting company. But do you foresee a day when, when beer, when Amsterdam will be emblazoned across the front of Arsenal shirts? Uh, not Arsenal, no. Maybe TFC one day. Never know. Yeah, that'll be great. Um, I, I got high hopes. <laughs> I love a good beer sponsor. And paints. I like paints because I grew up watching Crown Paints, oh, Crown yeah. paints. in Liverpool, and it was this. That's the coolest paint. I'm gonna buy Crown Paints now. What was what was Did the you? worst one at Ipswich, was like Craig? 10, what was so the man. worst sponsor you had on your jersey? <laughs> Ipswich or West Ham or Chelsea? Well, the Ipswich we had Fisons, yeah, which nobody knew. It's not that's, that's not very good. Oh, yeah. insurance company. I remember that Fisons. Yeah, that was a nice kit, but it was just a terrible sponsor. Yeah, they were local. At West Ham, company. what did you have at West Ham? Do you have Dagenham Motors for a bit? Yes. <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> Dagenham Motors. <laughs> Dagenham's a place in, in like London. I've got yeah, family living close. there as well, near West Ham. Yeah. Basically like, sold used cars. <laughs> Harry, Harry was probably involved with that as well. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> Harry was. <laughs> uh, Delboy Del signed up with him, right? Harry and Delboy. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Rob, I mean, do you, do you think there's value, though, nowadays, advertising across football shirts? I mean, obviously, advertising's changing so much, you know, integrated marketing, etc., etc. But, I mean, do you think that is something that we'll see more of or less of? Uh, absolutely. I mean, the, the jerseys, you know, the way they, they get sold now, they become a market amongst themselves. So um, I, I don't think it'll ever go away. I just think the affordability for breweries is probably not, not as attractive. We've got now these Asian betting firms, et cetera, that, you know, in Korean letters that you, that you don't understand. So I, I think it's just a value proposition, that, you know, for most breweries. Can they afford it? It's a yeah, value for money. Yeah. Really. Well, I mean, it was at one time, but now these uh, all these betting sites are making so much money. What's well, amazing now you're seeing essentially green screens around the size of grounds, right? And they'll, they'll sell advertising for the market that's being broadcast in. Which is really something. I want Helen before. Who do you think? Same way. What team or sport do you think Forty Time the podcast would be a good sponsor on? What team? Yeah. Oh. Who, who, whose jersey could we 40 get? Forty Time or Forty Prime? Forty Prime. Sorry. Yeah. I'm still thinking. You're still thinking of Chimatuas. Forty Prime. Forty Prime. What? What? What do we personify? We're like, you know, hardworking, a little bit blue collar. Well, he's. Danny and Mia. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, what? Uh, I think that used car. Community based. <laughs> community yeah. based. We're not northern, that's for sure. No. So if we're an English team, let's let's break it down to an English team, right? Obviously, you've got a couple of southerners. You played pretty much in the south your whole career, Craig. Yeah. So something south, south end. South end, Leighton Orient. Leighton Orient, they could do some, some, some money coming yeah. in. 
Or so. a different sport. What about a different sport? If Do you want to maple leaves? Well, no, come on. Footy Prime. NBA. That little one they have on the. Yeah. Just to really fuck up the audience. Yeah. What is, <laughs> what is that? The well, they, there is a few out there you don't even know. It's true. That's true. Mm. It's a good question. Let's ask yeah. the, uh, the, the, the listeners. Yeah. What sports team should Footy Prime sponsor? Or perhaps the question would be, should Footy Prime sponsor? Yeah. Maybe the lo- local five-a-side. We're like a team. Stoke. Kind of a Stoke club. Middle, middle of the pack? Yeah. yeah. R- Rob, throwing it back to you. Just because. Sorry, we, we go off on tangents, Rob. Can you tell? <laughs> so when are you guys going to be open again at your, uh, your brew house and your restaurants? Because we want to do a, a remote, and we'd love to figure out how to do that with you. Um, so this is called a pitch. It isn't just a pitch. It's more of a. It's it's ambitious, live show, and optimistic. From the brewery. But let's say you know, Ford's uh, provincially. Ford's saying in the next two weeks we're going to phase two. You guys are obviously planning for phase two. Um, Absolutely, yeah. When when football starts up with MLS, we want to be there, and we'd love to work with you. But how are you guys going about it? Tell me that. That's an interesting. Yeah, we've again more plans with uh, with social distancing. Don't understand yet what the parameters are. They haven't released the guidelines, but we understand it'll be a limited capacity with the opportunity to extend beyond your current patio. So we could end up. We've got lots of walkway space down there. Um, we've got lots of patio in general, so we're fortunate from that sense. But it's a big facility, so you know you need a lot of staff. You need big kitchen operation, and um, you need people to, to turn numbers through there. So. I think we'll follow the guidelines and we'll open as soon as we can. Um, yeah, the target, I think, is next Friday. We, we hope to hear an announcement on um, Monday or Tuesday this week. But, uh, yeah, we'd love to have you guys down there in some capacity, for sure. There's room to do some, and uh, I think it'd be a lot of fun. So, so you heard it here. Next Friday, we could be enjoying <laughs> a live show from Amsterdam Brewery. Am I mistaken? I thought we were in phase three already. <laughs> <laughs> It's still tumultuous, isn't it? It's still, still tumultuous. 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 Well, listen, Rob, thanks so much for joining us. Um, this yeah. is what we kind of do. We go off on various tangents, but we really appreciate the support you've given us. Um, we, we are certainly purveyors of your, your finest. We love the three-speed. I mentioned the, uh, the Space Invader. I've got three blondes on my deck right now, hopefully. And beer. <laughs> 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 we need uh, to get a little symbol in here. There three blondes. There's two, bl- there's, there's two blondes, yeah, yeah. but they're my daughter and my, the three my, speed. my wife. Just anyway. a three speed, but that's good enough. Yep, that's absolutely. Rob, thanks so much, mate. Appreciate it. Thank you, this. Rob. All right, guys. Thanks to meet you. Cheers. Thank you. That's Rob Mulverhill of Amsterdam Brewery. All right, fellas, we're running out of time here, but we have to quickly mention, of course, this uh, Wednesday, I believe, is kickoff for the Premier League. Yes. And they've left the marquee matchup for the first match of the, uh, the kickstart. Sheffield United, Aston Villa. <laughs> cracker. What's a cracker? Big Actually, it's a big game for Villa. It's a huge game, I know. And yeah. we shouldn't forget what a campaign the Blades have had. The Blades have had this incredible season um, so far. And uh, you know, I, I think we forget just how, how they've surprised us all so far moving this far forward. Fantastic. And they've got a really good coach in charge as well. Uh, a guy that... You can tell the players love to play for. He's very honest. He's very open with his dialogue, even in his 
he's like team talks after nice team talks he's media press conferences after the game he'll he'll say how it is and players feed off of that but what he's done with that club they haven't bought in big money signings they've got a very tight knit group that that really did well in the championship the year before and now they're really playing well they remind me a lot of the Sunderland team I went up with um, in like 98 99 and we were a very tight knit group we didn't have any superstars we had guys that played in and around the Premier League Championship done very well but we built that team spirit and that togetherness for about 16 months 18 months in the Championship and it really helped us when we when we went through to the Premier League and we had to punch above our weight for a long long time and Sheffield United have done that this year and they could possibly end up in Champions League still oh absolutely I'm telling yeah, you, that they race could is possibly incredible. end up yeah. in Champions League which would be for me would be a fantastic season we speak about Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp with what he's done with them but for Wilder to take Sheffield United into the Champions League, he has to get Manager of the Year. Oh, well, I was yeah. going to say, at this point, he's obviously in contention for it. There's no doubt. And I think I would probably give it to him. As much as you know, Klopp's done a great job, he's got different finances yeah. around him. What, what Wilder's done in the first year back in the Premier League, playing that style of football too. They're not, you know, this isn't Neil Wannock's no. uh, uh, United, who, who did really well too. This is a team that plays football. Yeah, it's interesting the different philosophies of teams that come up and, and, you know, the ones that decide to spend money, but you're looking for some added quality going in the Premier League, which is important, but you're also disrupting the dress room potentially. Mm. And the ones that do that, like I think Wilder's really challenged the players. So, okay, we're going to stick with you. We're going to challenge you, and I'm going to call you out when you should be finishing chances because at this level you have to be doing that. Yeah. And he's, done it with, that? he's done it with his goalkeeper, who he loves, by the way, the boy they've yeah. got on loan from Man United. He's made a mistake. The goalkeeper's made a mistake. He knows it. I know it. And it's cost us. Mm-hmm. And players really thrive off that. They thrive off that honesty because a lot of stuff will be said in the changing room, the locker room, and then the manager will go and say a totally different message to the press and to the fans afterwards. And there you're already kind of separating yourself from your team who are going out on the field, on the pitch to fight for you and to fight for your job at the end of the day. If you haven't got the trust of those players, done. And he's got that from this from this team. So, mm-hmm. as I said, they, they play really nice football. They're very flexible. They play three at the back. They go to four at the back. And they keep teams guessing. They, they play with no fear, which is what I like as well, Shams. They've gone to Anfield and, and fought and played very well progressively pressing they've done it at Man United as well and they'll end up losing games we know that that's what happens to, to teams when you're playing against high high level quality teams fear would be a great topic one, one week actually fear in football uh, in a variety of you know different different uh, scenarios but certainly promoted teams some teams clearly are terrified when they come yeah. up others aren't um, so that would be a good topic to get individuals. to at some point individuals yeah. too yeah who, who, can, who can hack it in yeah. the lower leagues well, you know, and two, it's one thing shitting yourself before a big match. Like, I mean, I honestly, like, the the anxiety before a match was just intense. Were you a puker? Nope. Wasn't a puker. But you, but you, uh, you would feel it. Like, when you woke up that morning, you'd feel, oh, feel it. For, really? for two days before. Really? Yeah. Thursday, Friday, I was just shut down. Like, it was useless. Once you got on that field, did it just go away? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? How? Yeah. I mean, I understand that at different levels. A lot, a lot of the thinking is James is, too. Is you're 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 thinking of the end result. Like, as you want, you're starting at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, and you you're, you're you're finished at five. You're thinking of the result at five, 
and you want it to be a positive result, but you don't never what go doesn't go through your head is the process to get to that five o'clock result. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. you have to go through yeah, the process, yeah. and everything's doesn't come only at once, right? So psychologically, it's important to remember that it's not coming all at you at once. Every event isn't happening at once. It's all happening individually. It's also different for a keeper, right? Because mm-hmm. as, as an out player, you're surrounded by your teammates. You know, you're as good as they are, whereas you're on the spot. You have to have a, a flawless match, essentially, to, to get a result in most cases, right? Yeah. Whereas, you know, Deech used to... Were you nervous, Deech, coming onto the field or before the field? I, used, the I used to get butterflies, yeah, right. in your stomach. Yeah. But I, th- I feel if you're a pro athlete and you don't have butterflies before a game, then you're either very, very strange, which some pro athletes are, or you don't have a feeling for the game. You should have that that kind of... No, it's not fierce. Yeah. An excitement of butterflies, yeah. a build-up to... You're going into an occasion to not only play the game, but to entertain people that have paid to get into the yeah. stadium. Yeah. So you should have that excitement. You should have that yeah. the butterfly but, feeling in your stomach. And one thing about that feeling, DJ, is like... I was thinking of the other day. It was probably the most alive... Yeah, that I've ever felt in my life before games because you got all these senses coming through you like everything flying through you and you're just so alert about what's going on what were you on. like in the room when you when you got in there to you know get your socks on get your shorts and get geared up were you were you just in your own little space there or cause some, some guys yeah. become very yeah. always bigger than themselves right and they're, yeah. they're loud and they're joking that's how they deal with the pressure that's right how were you yeah no I wasn't like that but I wasn't uh, I wasn't introverted either but I, I was certainly not you're thinking of your role and your job and, you know, what's going to happen over the next period of time. You're a DJ, right, in your DJ? Yeah, I, I that used to do all the, the mixtapes and stuff for the music. So there was, certain, <laughs> there was certain coaches that liked having music on in, in the changing room before games and there were certain coaches that just liked guys to be yeah. in the mood. But again, I go back to if a coach understands his team and what they need and what they want, then he has to be brave enough and strong enough to let the players police that that change room, that locker room. Because at the end of the day, they're the group that are going to go out on the field and get that result. So yes, there has to be parameters. There has to be certain rules within the change room, the locker room. But most of the guys were very self-disciplined. I was a guy that liked... Uh, uh, for some reason, I liked hitting myself before going on the field. Hitting yourself, Cause, yeah, because I knew that I was going to get. <laughs> Does it surprise me? Does it surprise you? I knew that I was going to get a lot of knocks and stuff as soon as. I, so I don't want to be surprised by the first hit. <laughs> I, no, no. I, you know what? It's funny. Um, rugby. That's what you do before in the warm up. Right, yep. you are like you're bouncing off people, yeah, because you got to get yeah. get a few few yeah, stings and a few bruises to yeah. get in, in that mate. I mean, obviously, it's with the other team in my case, which was yeah. a bit, <laughs> a bit frustrating. But I, I always so mega mix. <laughs> no, hey, come on. Well, well, listen, James, you might want to put the, our shirt on. <laughs> mega mix '97 with Dickio. Oh so, yeah, there's always one song. So I I was a DJ too back in university. There's always one song that. You have consistently on a mega mix. What was your song? It, it depends on the year as well. No, it doesn't matter because there's always one jam that, you know, like there's always a jam that you go, oh, you know what? That was the most frequent jam. No, nah, it, re- it, really, it really depended on the year and, and the changing room and the locker room as well. Because right. if we had vets... They wouldn't like what us young'uns were, were, were listening to as well. But 98 the first, Sunderland. The first vinyl record I bought when I was DJing was Pump Up The Jam. 
Pump up the jam. Pump up the jam. Wow. So that, that, yeah. Pump it up. Like, I, I listened black, to that like box, five, right? six black years box. ago. And I'm like, this is a terrible it's, it's song. Box, right? <laughs> now I listen to it now. And like, even my daughter, she's like, this is a jam, dad. I'm like, oh my was God. Was that Black Box? It was. No, right? no, no, no. It was no, Techno no. Beat. Uh, techno Beat. Technotronic. So Black Box is pump up the volume. No. Yeah. Who's Black Box? Black Box is pump up the volume. It is, right? No, Black Box was Ride on the Wave or something like that. Well, wow, we're going back to nineties dance music now. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff's on the case. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. You're playing, say, ninety eight, and you got a guy that's like, is, you know, listening to Led Zeppelin. Yeah, there was, right? so be older your mix guy, had to be, be like twenty years old, very than different, you. and catered to the whole group rather than just for the younguns in the corner that bouncing away to it. But the experienced guys in the other corner are pissed off because yeah. it's just headache music to them. So yeah. we, we should have a pre-pod soundtrack. What would be on it? A lot of scar. A lot of scar, right? A lot of scar. Yeah. A lot of specials, some specials. madness. Yeah. Just put like these. Some uh, disco. Spotify. I love disco. Any luck there, Jeff? Are we actually still on? I know. Hey, well, Jeff's got the answer to our, uh, our black box issue. It's not black box. Right on time, what's that? I'll give somebody. I'll give somebody literally. Every sense I have on me right now, which is upwards. Pump up the volume, Mars. Ah, yes. oh, yes. Who? Who? Pump up the volume, Mars. Right. I, owe some <laughs> <laughs> I don't want your money, Jeff. I don't want your money. No. Just give me beer. <laughs> Just give me beer. I'll have beer instead. Oh, we should probably go because we're what, an hour 10 in or something, according to the record here, which means that Dan's life tomorrow is a nightmare getting uploaded. Um, listen, our thanks to Grant Wall, who was outstanding today, and yeah. obviously had to deal with some very important issues, and we'll continue to do so, but at some point we'll get Grant back on, we'll talk football. Um, and of course, Amsterdam Brewery, thank you so much um, for supporting us, and uh, in our little way, we'll support you, because I have bought some beers in recent weeks as well from you. <laughs> in fact, there's actually, you can follow the, 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 the car tracks from the brewery to my house, because of the uh, delivery, it's fantastic. I, not now. Never. I know. Yeah. I know. But I'm a raging alcoholic. So am I. Standing yeah. in line at the LCBO <laughs> with all the other losers. Yeah. Oh, By mistake. You know what? Actually, oh, yeah, that's right. I stood. By I mistake. stood. I was at the fucking Loblaws. I went to the grocery shopping. I'm standing there for like 20 minutes. I'm like, Jesus. What was you in the returns queue? No, I was in the LCBO line. <laughs> so you thought you were at Loblaws? <laughs> I'd love to have Did seen you stay that. Stay in there and pretend you're supposed to be them boopers. Yeah, for like 20 minutes. And I was like, uh, excuse me. Is this to get in the grocery store? No, it's the LCBO. I was like, oh. 20 minutes. 20 yeah. minutes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're like that. Yeah, I just want to get some wine actually before I get my yeah, grocery store. Right, yeah. well, well, like, see, I would, just, I would stay in that line just to kind of look like I'm supposed yeah, to be in that line. Did. You yeah, did, yeah, I did. That's why I was in there. I was like, you told me after 10, but I was kind of like, how do, <laughs> well, how do I drift away? <laughs> I'm that person who, like, you know, walks down the street and will pass the stories going in, but rather than stop and turn around, I'll just keep walking, you know, yeah. pretend I'm supposed to be going somewhere else, you know, popping somewhere else. It's pathetic. Yes. Pathetic. It's pathetic. <laughs> All right, we're out of time. It's tumultuous. Well, that's a tumultuous thought, word isn't it? Word of the week. How do we spell that? <laughs> yeah, you, we should do a spelling bee. <laughs> no, 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 no. Spelling no, bee. No. no. <laughs> Is that what they call it? No, but Danny. Oh. <laughs> Spell B. Remember that kid that passed out? He was he had this massive word and he passed out, he, or he yeah. faked it, and then he got up and he and he did it. 
Yeah, I remember that one. There's a lot of pressure on those good. kids. It's ridiculous. Well, you give it one of these and you give it the old wobble and he went down. Yeah. But then he got up and rattled it off. Nailed it. Nailed it. Which is ridiculous because so head I injuries. He, I think he took a dive. He should have gone into the quiet room. More time. I think he had it in his pocket. He fooled us so? all. Yeah. Yeah, you think it was just felt down? Sure. Yeah, it written in his head. <laughs> yeah. The hardest word. The hardest word ever. <laughs> I think the way spelling bee organizers deal with head injuries is pathetic nowadays. In this day and age, they should take these kids away to the quiet room for a little while, make sure they're not concussed, then bring them back. It's like, get back up there, son. It's terrible, isn't it? Oh, you mean the, the concussion bees. protocol? Yeah. All right. The spelling bees. <laughs> spelling bees. <laughs> <laughs> this, this have a poor concussion kid. protocol. It if you be. do go down and hit your head, you cannot or continue until we assess you. I could be Take in a little side head. room with a cricket bat. What's that? In, I could be in a little side room with a cricket bat. Well, make sure it's No. I can't believe you want to send them off the stage to me in that little room with a cricket I'd bat. I'd hit him. If you, <laughs> eh? I, I Punch me. Ba- I was a masturbator. Just, <laughs> I, calm me down, clap me <laughs> before I track me against Donovan. Yeah, look at you like now. Four by yeah. 100 fastest guy. So that's why you were never there, you eh? You weren't there in Atlanta. <laughs> you, ran against, you ran against Donovan Bailey. Glenroy Gilbert. And Glenroy Gilbert. Oh, yeah. Mark McCoy? No, he was... Uh, he was he a little bit older, maybe, right? Turtles. Oh, yeah, that's right. He was, yeah. 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 Is there really? any way we can get some video or visual of that? Because I'd I, love I to can, see that. Can you picture it? I'd lo- as much as you were probably pretty quick, you weren't that quick. I wasn't I wasn't super brother quick. No. For sure. He was like wow. fifth alternate. <laughs> <laughs> like, he'd be caught up. <laughs> if if D goes down and he goes down and that whole village goes down, that's it. You get a chance to run. <laughs> I want to see video of that. Absolutely, yeah, that'd be good. That's cool though, that's a great story. Wow, didn't know. Maybe Canada's greatest athlete ever. <laughs> not you, not you, Donovan Bailey. <laughs> yeah. Then he met beer and women and and life got better. Life got better. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we should definitely go now. Are we still on? I think so, yeah. <laughs> DeanBlundell.com. Thanks, Dean, mate, um, for supporting us as well, and we'll support you, and you should join us one of these days. Uh, you won't be drinking beer, but you'll definitely be uh, consuming other substances. All right, until then, next week. Cheers. Bye. Ciao, ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.